0: What's up, it's your pal, Wenchikistoticus, and this is The Bar Is Low. Every episode, we take a look at a series of fan fictions or a single fic, and these can be either good, bad, or in-between, but mostly, they're bad. Today, we're going to talk about... The most ridiculous fanfiction, for perhaps the most ridiculous movie ever. I don't think serious fanfic of The Room exists, but either way, we're going to discuss what people have written about Tommy Wiseau's masterpiece. It's just ridiculous, piled on top of ridiculous. It's good stuff. Two lighthearted episodes in a row? What is this bullshit? This one will not be wholesome, though. There's going to be some sexual content in it, but for those parts... Eh, not really, but let's get this started. I have eight one-shots picked out for today. We're not really going to move through these fix in a particular order, like how we normally do, like when we go from least fucked up to most fucked up, because none of these are, like, particularly fucked up, so we're just going to go through these in kind of a random order. The one we're starting off with today is called The Room 2, The Birth of the Best God by Fear Pigeon. I'm just going to read this one in its entirety. It's pretty short and all the good shit is packed in too tightly for me to really summarize it. Nor does the narrative make any sense. So, you know, I can't really summarize it either. So I'm just going to read this. Johnny was strolling down to his very important job. At what he is good, he was clearing the mist. Every step he took, numerous important people stopped him in his amazing walk to tell him that he is the best human being. But the importantest person was his ex-wife, Lisa Simpson. Oh, hi, Johnny. I thought you were dead, she expelled with a stone face. Johnny giggled like manly schoolgirl. You are so funny, Lisa. The only bullet wound I got was through the heart, Tommy informing Lisa. Nice seeing you, Johnny, said Lisa as she faded into the foggy mist. A deep voice erupted from above. Johnny, you are now God. Okay, doggy. He carried on walking. He arrived at his very important job. Hi, Johnny. You are the best god. Johnny laughed. Thanks, Markiplier, as he tossed a ball. Also, Johnny, I have three seconds until the bomb goes off on my chest. Johnny smirked and excelled. If everyone were to dance, the world would be a better place. Mark smiled as he was suddenly engulfed by a flame. Johnny then launched his arms either side of him. As a rift in the sky opened, he flew up and stabbed a spoon into the heart of the beast of the unknown. (laughs) Mark (laughs) flew out of the mouth. Johnny swept down and caught him with his lovably personality. Hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Johnny. Mark relived himself. I was tortured up there, Johnny. Johnny laughed. You are so funny, Mark. That felt nothing compared to the feeling of my power after I consumed the earth. Bah ha ha, you fool, Johnny said as his face slowly transformed into a gray form of goo. Nice one, Johnny laughed, Mark. Then suddenly, Johnny swallowed the entire earth in one bite, and the entire world was sentenced to 1,000 lifetimes of pure pain. The end? Question mark. I love how this one just has pretty typical room mocking stuff in it, but it also has like such random shit in it too. Like just the lack of punctuation and the random capitalization, which you can't really tell they're this auditory medium. It's just their random shit. Like, Johnny smirked and excelled. She expelled with a stone face. Like, what are verbs? In the earliest days of my own fanfiction posting, a big thing I would do would be, instead of writing he said or she says or something like that, I'd put in a word that was just Definitely not a synonym for said. Sometimes I just make them up. Like I'd say, he sizzled or she frindated. So this reminds me of that. It's just like, he smirked and excelled. She expelled with a stone face. Those are not synonyms for said. <laughs> People are just so nonchalant while being engulfed in flame and the like. Johnny, you are now God. He's just like, oh, okay, I'm God now, red. And then just the part where he stabs a spoon into the heart of the beast of the Ono. And what? What does that even mean? And then his face just turns into goo. And then he eats the world and sentences it to 1,000 lifetimes of pure pain. That's metal as fuck, by the way. Good shit post. So this next one, it's oddly uplifting it's about Claudette's breast cancer Uh, so she's like I don't have much time left only one month to be specific no one cares about my condition so fuck it I'm just gonna live my goddamn life while I still can so she goes to the beach to chill and contemplate life and she's like this is nice I haven't been happy in a while Then, since she's in such a fuck-it state of mind, she gets a plane ticket to DC and stands in front of the White House with a sign to raise awareness for breast cancer. So this leads to media attention, and she starts an organization that does all this, like, activism-type stuff, and she visits kids in the hospital and raises money and shit. And then she gets sick, and she goes to the doctor, and she's just like, I'm gonna die. But the doctor's like, you just have a cold. You definitely don't have cancer. And she's just like, oh... What am I going to do with my life now? But the fic ends on this line, the horizon seemed a little brighter. So, wow, I, I thought this was just going to be poking fun at the shitty writing of the room, but it was actually kind of inspiring, like, just live each day like your last? Wow, um, yeah, that was weirdly uplifting. But enough of uplifting shit, this next one is just so gloriously uncomfortable. We start off with an overview and a summary of the universe of the room, describing Mark's great betrayal of his best friend. There's some lovely and vibrant language here. Here's a quote. They would do it in every corner of her apartment, on the couch, on her bed, on the spiral staircase. They were sore for at least a week afterwards. In the bathroom, on the roof. One time they even did it while Denny washed. They were saved only by Mark's quick thinking of wearing a black, long-haired wig. There must have been some curse over Johnny's apartment, as even... Two of their closest friends would find sexual solace within the walls of sins, the framed pictures of spoons, bearing witness to the carnal debauchery. (laughs) Just the carnal debauchery. (laughs) Oh my god. So let's get into the narrative here. Johnny calls Mark over to try on tuxes, even though they already did that. He's calling, he calls him babyface again. This killed me throughout the entirety of the Disaster Artist. By the way, it just babyface. I almost started shipping it because of that nickname, <laughs> but like Tommy was always his own entity and cannot be paired with any normal human. So, but Mark is so fucking oblivious, much like he was with Lisa. And Johnny's like, "Wow, you're looking slimmer these last two days. We should try out tuxes again." And he's like, "Oh, I started a diet. <laughs> what a diet, Mark. And your abs are." so hard too. yeah no homo right so mark brought his tux home with him but johnny magically has it in his closet instead that's never explained but you know whatever when he changes out johnny's like hey i'm your best pal why don't you feel comfortable changing in front of me you need some help getting off your tux he starts touching his chest and mark is like are you playing tic-tac-toe on me he's so oblivious oh my god i'm just gonna read this whole next passage there's just so much discomfort and obliviousness crammed into it Mark? Johnny leaned his head forward until his lips were close to Mark's ear. How is your sex life? He nibbled on Mark's ear, licking into the hole and gobbling up some wax. Johnny, Mark pushed away again. You're acting weird, man. Is it weird, Mark? He grabbed him by the arm and pulled him close again. Or is it what we both have wanted for a long time? Mark hesitated, unable to look at Johnny directly. I'm so confused, he admitted, wondering if now would be the appropriate time to tell Johnny he was shacking up with his future wife. Johnny took a tender hold of Mark's chin and guided his gaze back to him. My baby-faced chicken. As they leaned their heads closer to another, Johnny softly called Cheep, 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 The kiss was wet, and altogether clammy. Johnny forced his tongue into baby face Mark's mouth like a battering ram. Saliva and other fluids that Mark was unfamiliar with protruded from his best friend's mouth, coating his own and his lips in a strange bile that felt equally comforting and somewhat intrusive. What are we doing right now, Johnny? Mark said after he broke the kiss. You tell me, babe, Johnny replied. I thought we were trying on tuxes. Now I want to try on our birthday suits. Johnny winked. Oh my god. So they go upstairs to fuck, and Marky's like all curious about Johnny's third leg as they refer to it here. And Johnny fucks him in you guessed it the navel. I love how even though they're having sex, the narration is just like, his friend, his best friend, 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 friend. Like, yeah, this is totally not gay at all. (laughs) So here's another quote that just, oh my god, this is the ending of this section. Where I come from, Johnny said, a man's semen is the elixir of life. Where do you come from, Mark asked. Johnny laughed and once more leaned in to whisper into Mark's ear. The planet Zaldar, he said before licking into his ear hole again, savoring that delicious (laughs) earwax. The planet Zaldar, Mark asked before a bright light shone through the ceiling and Johnny looked up to greet it. Will you come home with me, Mark? He offered his hand. Mark didn't need a second to take it. I'll come... Anywhere on you, Mark said, not caring about his own Freudian slip. The light engulfed him around them until he could feel it lifting the bed upwards, further and further into the light. They kissed fervently as other Johnny-like beings began to join them in bed. Three, then four, then five, then an unspeakable amount to caress... (laughs) An unspeakable amount came to caress Mark's baby face, asking him about his sex life and commenting on how lucky they were to have him as their friend. <sighs> so, of course. This ending assumes that Tommy Wiseau is some sort of supernatural being, as is logical. Just imagine there being more than one Tommy Wiseau. Like, I don't think the world would be able to handle that. But it was all just a dream. And Mark wakes up in bed, and he's, like, there's actually this pretty angsty moment where he's like, wow, I feel kind of shitty. I probably could have done something to stop my friend from killing himself, but I didn't. And he's having all these dreams that just, like, remind him about how he failed. Lisa's still with him for some reason, and she's just like, You woke up again? I guess I'll suck you off. I kind of feel like it, whatever. And it ends with this quote. Lisa crawled under the covers and to Mark's wiener, pulling down his stained boxers and heading, Johnny would laugh at that. If it weren't his future wife, anyways. Straight to work, Mark closed his eyes and imagined his best friend under the covers instead while hidden in the closet just to the left of their bed. A man-child took a slow meaningful bite of an apple as he watched their intercourse unfold. Well, that was really uncomfortable, but without being that unnecessarily gross. So, nice job, man. Let's get to the ghost story of the night. So Johnny's dead, and he left the house to Denny. One night, Denny awakens in a panic and calls Mark like, Hey, you're a ghost hunter, right? Can you help me out? And Mark is like, what? Uh, you know what? Sure I am, kid. The apartment is haunted by Johnny's ghost. And Mark comes over and Denny is wearing a onesie with dump trucks on them or something, even though he's in college. Uh, As a college kid myself, yeah, you do you, Denny, even though it seems like he's doing it because he's a man-child, not because he's just out of fucks like most college kids would wear stuff like that, just because they don't care. So every night, Denny wakes up and finds the house as it was on the day of Johnny's death. Mark is like, do you lock the door? Because, you know, you're probably getting pranked and Denny's such a fucking idiot and doesn't know that you should lock your fucking door. Like, seems like they live in a not really that safe neighborhood considering Denny almost got murdered by a drug dealer in the movie. So you'd think he'd know to lock his fucking door. But the scent of pizza, perfume, and roses lingers in the air. Mark tastes some supposed blood on the ground. And it's not blood. It's Scotchka conclusion the apartment is haunted by romance so the flower shop dog can sniff out romance and they bring it over and it uncovers 14 red dresses and two weeks worth of roses which for johnny would be 200 300 flowers right there and then they move all the stuff out but since Danny is so scared and still thinks that mark is a ghost hunter even though he's been bullshitting most of his advice he has mark stay over the night to keep watch so at midnight Ghost Tommy appears and wore roses and red dresses manifest in his wake. Mark blacks out, and then awakens with a card from the fraternal order of Peters calling him to a meeting, which consists of obviously Peter, and the random guy who first made his appearance at the party at the like the end of the movie. I don't think he's ever said but that guy's name is Steven, but apparently he was undercover and he's actually named Peter, so he becomes Peter the Second. So their explanation for why Johnny's a ghost is because he had such powerful emotional presence in his life so uh, the strongest of these feelings want a romance hence why he's appearing as like a romance ghost (laughs) so he's trying to recreate a certain night progressing further every time he appears and his goal is to get to the bedroom to which mark is like oh hell no so the peters are going to help get rid of the ghosts and they require the aid of an snpo which stands for special non-peter operative That night, the scene is set. Mark has laid out an offering for the ghost. He thinks about drawing a pentagram, but he's like, well, I never got the hang of drawing a star in elementary school, and what's the difference, really? So, the SNPO, the special Non-Peter operative, is called the Soul Taker, and straps Johnny's essence in a pocket watch once it appears. And the soul taker's Claudette, cause she died of breast cancer. Here's a quote. Ah, well that's done, it looks like there isn't much more business for the fraternal order of Peters, is there, so we'll just be going then. Yeah, Mark thinks, they can go ahead and disappear, now that it's over, this is just another weird event in his life, one that doesn't really feel likely to offer closure, maybe closure isn't really something you get in this world. Especially not when your best friend's ghost has just been soul taken by the mom of your best friend and your mutual ex. Well, when you put it like that, that sounds really weird. The weirdness of ghosts and the room. We were expecting all that supernatural shit, but your ex's mom soul-taking your same ex's ex-fiance's ghost into the afterworld is, like, a normal sort of weird. Well, I'm talking about the relationships there anyways. So I have a question about the Fraternal Order of Peters, which I liked, even though they were kind of useless. Uh, I wonder what else they do, like... And if it's just a little club of just those two Peters, maybe a couple others, or if it's like a whole worldwide Peter Illuminati... I don't know, I'm just curious about that. So, this next one is kind of interesting, relatively serious in nature, actually. It's a bit on the subtle side, and we open with Denny, Mark, and Lisa at the site of Johnny's suicide, where Denny is trying to get them to leave. He's able to control Mark and get him to suggest to Lisa that they leave because, you know, they'll be the top suspects, seeing as they're all chilling at the crime scene, and yeah, they leave, and here's a quote that kind of foreshadows the pale skin and soft blowing hair that amused Denny when he'd first met Johnny, as if he'd wanted desperately to become the thing he did not know he entertained. The old horror movies they'd watched on his couch had made way for James Dean films. The man had plenty of fascinations, enough that Denny had gone to his sire and asked him to learn about the man as well. Peter was excellent at making friends. So we get a flashback of Peter and Denny talking. Peter opens with a question as to why Johnny didn't, quote, figure him out. So, yeah, Johnny never knows that Denny looks like he was 17 for five whole years. Typical stupid Johnny. Meanwhile, on the present day, Denny is like able to mentally track Mark and Lisa, and they've both gone off. Peter arrives, they've been planning to approach Johnny for a while, but like he shot himself so they really have to do it now or never. There's this weird ritual they do where they scatter flower petals on Johnny. It's so weird to me for Denny to be a vampire, because it's implied here that he's been around for a long time. He and Peter have been traveling from city to city together. Denny is such a man-child that it's like, what, wouldn't he have grown up a little bit? But I suppose it could have been largely an act. So Johnny awakens and Denny is the one who gets to turn him vampire. He's very confused and he asks, where's Lisa? And Denny's like, she tore you apart but we put you back together. Aaaaay, but then Denny turns him vampire and Johnny is like really happy about that. And the last line is this. Even, Denny thought, if I don't get a chance to be any closer to Johnny, I'll always remember the Christmas morning look in his eyes when he realized what he had become. So, I guess happy ending? I thought this one was pretty well done, despite, or perhaps because of its seriousness. Now let's get to our next one, which is strangely kinky without really being explicit. Now I've covered this fetish before, only once, but the episode is named after that fetish, so it should be easy for y'all to find if you want to know what I'm talking about before I actually say it. So we open up with Johnny just making small talk on a college campus where Denny wants to study. How did Johnny, Denny even meet? Was like that ever explained? Like, I guess this explanation here is as good as any, even though everything happens really quickly. They just like tell each other their names. And then Denny's like, my mother never loved me. And then Johnny's just like, I'll pay your tuition and be your dad. So yeah, that was really fast. You get Johnny driving Denny around, and then Denny admires him so much. He's just like, wow, you have a really nice car. And Johnny says, it has more horsepower than most horses, which is the name of this fic. And he tells Denny about Lisa. And man, Denny is like really clearly obsessed with both of them. And I don't know if it's really in a family way, a sexual way, or both. Probably both, considering later events. And the next thing, he's just like... Lisa is my mom, I could hibernate in her titties when they are actually together. Uh, And then, oh my God, the next scene, they're just having a happy old time and Denny arrives in a fucking diaper and all three of them hug and the narration here is rather centered around Johnny's muscular chest and Denny can hear Johnny's good and low cholesterol heart beating. (laughs) I don't know why they specified the quality of his heart, but okay. But anyway, here's a quote. That really just sums it all up. Danny loves wearing his diaper around the apartment. The temperature inside is so carefully controlled that he is always just warm enough, even when he is naked, but for the fabric nestling close against his youthful and delicate skin. Danny's butt is not as muscular as Johnny's butt, but this doesn't upset Danny. Johnny is so much older after all and so much more experienced in the ways of the world than he is still young and maybe one day his butt will be well muscled and tight, but until that day comes, he is perfectly happy with his butt though that's just the way it is. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fucking what? <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the fit guys. It's that's basically what's all all of this is like that. It's just like wholesome family love with these really weird sexual undertones. Ugh. Oh, my God, And one day they're having breakfast, and Lisa does the whole like, here comes the airplane thing to Danny. Oh my God, what? And then this is the scene that it ends on. The bed creaks beneath them rhythmically, steadily, in time with the movements of Johnny's perfectly muscled hips and butt. Lisa moans loudly as Johnny's powerful body rocks against her softness with wild yet loving abandon- Oh yeah! Groans Johnny against Lisa's plump round breasts. I'm so aroused, Lisa. Your body makes me so horny. You're such a great lover, Johnny. Says Lisa, breathless and wanton. You have such a big penis. I'm so full of your manhood. <laughs> Why do they sound like robots? Oh my god. And then to continue. Danny watches, wrapped, thumb suckled securely in his mouth, curled up there at the end of the bed, diaper snug and soft against his hips and his butt and his groin. He has never felt safer or more at home. "I love you, Mom," he calls loudly, pulling his spit slick thumb free of his lips to be absolutely sure that she hears him. "I love you, Dad. You're a good boy, Danny." Lisa answers, voice high pitched. Her Whole body quivering with passion as she lies beneath her fiancé on the bed. We love you too, Denny, says Johnny. As his pistoning hips finally stutter and start to slow, you are just like a son to me. The music swells in the expensive and high-quality speakers behind them. Denny sighs happily and slips his thumb back into his mouth. It is all he ever needed to hear. So, fun fact about me, I'm uncomfortable. the only thing i can really compare this to is the relationship we saw in episode 18 but that shifted from familial to romantic and sexual but this one is familial and sexual at the same time but without being romantic what that's not how it's supposed to work but uh, i guess i'll credit it for being different um yeah i'm uncomfortable we're going to close off today's selection with two fics narrated from the perspective of Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> which is going to be interesting. Do I like first person? No. But if we're trying to get inside of Tommy Wiseau's head, sign me the fuck up. They even use like the bad grammar that conveys his accent and it's just, it's great. These last two are both written by the same author, but the one I'm going to cover right now is actually more fit fic for the disaster artist than the room. It's about when Greg moved in with Tommy. So Tommy can see what's happening inside Greg's donut head, to quote. Like, he's already planning his life in LA, and Greg arranges a sleeping space, and then this happens, like he has the Hollywood Reporter magazine right next to his head. With the Hollywood Reporter so close to his head, maybe Hollywood dreams sneak inside his brain and he become big star and own the world? Probably, but hey, I guess he already have these big dreams. He not say it, but I know. We all have the big American dream. Even Potato Face, like me, can dream. Potato Face! (laughs) Where did that come from? What does that have to do with anything? I just love all the random offhand shit in here. It's just so beautiful. Here's another quote. This one is just full of gold. I laughing for the donut head, but he cannot hear because I closed bedroom door for my private area. Maybe I should leave door open in case he needs something, like q-tip or something like that. Maybe he need to brush his teeth or tinkle a little bit, you know that is what bathroom is for. And we are cousins now anyway. Yeah, that's how it works, you become cousins when you room with someone. Tommy was always confident in his sexuality. I guess Donut Head, as it's been mentioned twice now, is a reference to Greg's haircut, but I still don't really understand it. Here's just this beautiful sequence from which we get the title of this fic, A Whole New World." I get in shower and water raining on my head, I scream a little bit, like maybe girly squeal. The water is so hot, my god, it is not the Kalgan. I have to sing so Greg not hear me crying like lobster dinner. <laughs> A whole new world. I sing so loud from heart. My hand go out like chest get big. I singing like opera man, I think. Ouch. My hand bang wall, but I laughing. A whole exciting point of view. Why I sing this song now? I asking Brain. It is Aladdin song. He does magic flying carpet with Princess Big Adventure. I can be everywhere. No tear in prayer. Why I sing this song, i still asking. I guess movie is good. I want to fly like bird. Sure, I mean, I am Birdman, you know? <laughs> what? <laughs> I do not know that you are Birdman. <laughs> Why I yeah, not fly? I can share the big new world with you imagining me and Greg on magic carpet. Greg is princess, but don't tell him. He is sensitive. We fly over Los Angeles and go so fast through Hollywood sign like Starfight. Let me show you the world. The world, little, now under the carpet, and we fly to stars. Greg touched one and bite it like it candy or something. Shiny sparkler, shining. Greg, why you do that? You are crazy. Then I twirl us a bit. Hold on, baby face. We do twisting and world spin. Greg's screaming and hold on to my ass so tight, my God. Tell me, baby face, when your heart feel right. Greg, you squeeze me like hell, I screaming fun at an imaginary Greg. But not in shower or baby face I think I crazy like his mother. Somebody's big baby chicken, cheap, 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 cheap. Unbelievable, for I seeing and I am wonder. And then I realize, like big bomb, that it is a very powerful symbol. Aladdin take princess to stars, show her big world, and I show Greg same thing. I help him because he is still feeling like a little boy. I have to be big cousin and show him to try a new adventure. Let me take exploring on magic carpet ride. Greg can have whole world if he brave and not little chicken. I show him how to take world's balls like he wants. I support him even when he squeeze my ass like hell. (laughs) A whole new world for you and me. Song is over, so I get out of shower. I standing there, so quiet, water dripping on my chest. It feels good. I listening for baby face. So just imagining this song in Tommy Wiseau's voice. Oh my god. It's spelled out phonetically and his accent so perfectly. And just imagining Tommy Wiseau trying to sing in general. And just him realizing the symbolism of the song. Then let's finish up this pic on the quote that ends it. I fluff off pillow for Greg and pull out sheets. I lay down and wait, but I so tired from long drive. Greg think I sleep, but that was just vampire meditation time. If Greg not hurry up, I will not be awake, so we can do sleeping process. I'm sick of this waiting. Somebody's chicken! I call to Greg. It is final warning to Babyface, but Greg knew nothing. Whatever, I say myself. Then, close my eyes and on magic carpet again. This time, just me. Babyface nothing. I don't need him squeezing my ass like hell when I fly to stars. (laughs) The last (laughs) line! What? Oh, this is such a shit post. I love it. And vampire meditation. Oh my god. But this is where real person fiction should be. Just a little glimpse into their life. Not weird porn, you know. They really pull off the voice of Tommy Wiseau here, too. I don't know how, but I'm not just talking about conveying his accent, but just his overall weirdness, but, like, with those offhand things he says, like potato face, donut head, and I'm Birdman, you know? No, I don't know that you're Birdman. (laughs) So let's get to our last fic of the day. It's also the longest, and it's another one told from the perspective of Tommy Wiseau, or rather Johnny here. It's based on the vampire subplot that Tommy wanted to add in, but they couldn't do it because they couldn't find a way to make the car lift off the ground when they were filming. Like, can you imagine what this movie would have been like if they'd done that? Like, it's already the best worst movie ever, but this would have just taken it to a whole new level of transcendently bad. So everything in this fake occurs alongside the events of the room, so our boy Johnny starts having some strange dreams. Here's the opening scene. I standing on roof. It is nighttime, middle of dark night, and here I am. How I get here? Why? These are not first questions a man asks in this time. Instead, it is, why in hell is Mercedes on roof? Mercedes is there, next to me. Bright headlight, flashing in my eyes, a naked body. Yes, I am naked, but this is dream, so not illegal, don't sue me. <laughs> Can you sue someone because they're naked publicly or you I think you just get arrested. You don't think you can sue someone I don't know about that type of thing and the light so blinding me that I move out of it And see that the headlight is shooting far across whole city and shining on lighthouse of Alcatraz Why are you doing this Mercedes? I asked car and moving to see inside. It is all darkness and I am fear <laughs> He just is fear <laughs> I step in closer again and ask, What do you want from me, car? Then horn honking and scare me like shit. It keep honking and honking over and over until sound changes. It is only alarm clock telling me it is 8.28 and time for me to get out of bed for day at bank. I groaning reach down a soft alarm. It is hiding under Lisa's sexy red dress. I wish I could hide inside a dress too but I have to be the man and go to make money. Lisa try to help, but the computer business is too competitive and she is only woman. After I shower and kiss Lisa goodbye, I walk out to my Mercedes and laugh. Car on roof, ha ha ha. Car cannot fly. My brain is so crazy so after that he goes to work and they talk about the promotion that he's supposed to get i only bring this up because he refers to his boss as old man donkey and this is never explained which i'm fine with he has another dream later that night and this time he gets in the car and it takes him to alcatraz when he gets thrown into his cell denny is there but denny is like I'm not Denny. Who the fuck is Denny? And he treats Johnny like his son rather than the other way around like it is in the movie. So there is some blood drinking that just happens at the end of the scene without much explanation and it occurs again in a later dream but we can all assume this is because of vampirism even though yeah it doesn't really get explained. The next big development is Peter Pan Denny which begins to occur after Johnny does a Zumba workout at night. I don't know it's just the concept of him doing Zumba. They're holding hands and flying through the sky and basically Johnny brings up, that he knows that he's dreaming, but then he's like, no, this is a real memory. So this dream is so fucking weird that he has. It's another one. When I find myself on roof, I am not afraid to be naked. It is symbol of my purity. The bats come and I know they represent my relationship to the planet. <laughs> what? <laughs> They lift me into air and take me down to window of my apartment. Instead of me sleeping in my bed, I see Lisa there with Mark, and they are sexing. Not <laughs> oh, they are having sex. They are sexing. I cannot believe it. No stupid bats. I scream. It is lie. Mark's butt is naked, and I don't want to watch him doing sex to my future wife. Still, I cannot look away. Suddenly, I see something swirling out of his butt, getting bigger like wart. Bigger and bigger and getting. And it starts to look like a head with a mouth opening to talk. Ah, what is it? Bats, get me out of here! This is monster! Mark is still sexing Lisa like he does not know that his butt is growing huge man out of it. The mouth is gurgling and I can see eyeball and nose appear. I realize it is Danny and he is trying to say something. Danny, speak, I say, because I know that he must have important thing to tell me. If he has to use Mark's butt, find yourself great king. What the fuck? <laughs> what is th- where did this even come from? Why this is just- why? <laughs> what? <laughs> So all the events of the room are unfolding as he keeps having these dreams, including Mark's hinting that he's fucking Lisa and Lisa being weird, but in this fake, Johnny knows what's up. He's just choosing not to say anything. The busboy dream, I really like. This is him rewatching the scene of his life when he met Lisa, and Denny is there to ask if he ever thought about who he was before he met Lisa, and Johnny's like, huh, I guess not. I mean, I feel like my life really started when I met her. And then Danny says that he betrayed everyone to be with her. Here's a quote from the following dream: As things continue to unravel, I'm walking around Alcatraz, just exploring. But for strange reason, I feel like I know every little part of this place. Bat friends come and take me on adventure, and I know that if I relax, they don't tickle my ass so much. He's actually very fun. We fly over city again, but this time going very fast. There is big whirlpool in the sky. What in hell is that? Bat friends don't answer me. Instead, they crashing through Whirlpool and suddenly my whole body electrocuted. San Francisco looked different now. Where the hell are you taking me, bats? They never say shit to me. Why do I ask them? We fly above Tenderloin District and they take me to window of apartment building. Inside, people have sexy time, like Big Orgy. Whoa, I laugh. Then I notice that everyone covered in blood and me and Danny are in the middle of room. Suddenly, young me stand up and spread his arms wide. He start laughing and lightning strike. It is me, King Johnny of Alcatraz. I feed again. Then all the vampires in the room fall to their knees to worship him. Pretty cool, I tell bad friends. So in the final scene... When Johnny's about to kill himself, Denny comes in and stops him. So here's the explanation for all this stuff. How you get in here? I cry. It doesn't matter. Go away, Denny. I want to be alone. No, Denny say. You have never been alone. I was always here with you. He takes a gun out of my hand. It is time I tell you everything, Johnny. You, Denny says, are king of the vampires. I cannot believe my ear. His single ear that he has. Just one. What? It is true. You came to San Francisco in 20s as poor little Polish boy. After a few months in the gigolo business, they'd throw you in jail. That's where we met. I was king of vampires then, but when I met you, I know you had the right stuff. I was doing gig for a few thousands of years and wanted to take some time off, see Greece, Rome, you know? So I passed the crown to you. Vampires flourished under your rule. You fight for vampire rights, organize rallies, and feedings. And vampires become more accepted than in any other time in history. I was so impressed, I decided to just stay out of the way. For 80 years, you reigned over vampires, until the day you see Lisa. You gave it all up for love. In the end, a handful of followers hunted me down and asked that I bring you to your senses. So I disguised myself as your faithful man-child, watching over you until I see the evil ways of your human companions. But I have failed, and their faithlessness has led you to suicide. No, Danny, I don't kill myself. I'm done with this shit. Let's go back to Alcatraz. You mean it? Of course, this human shit is bullshit. Ha ha." Great, but first, Denny says, twinkling his eye, do you want to toss the ball around? Maybe we do that when we go home, our true home, Alcatraz. Then Denny and I run to roof to see Mercedes, patiently waiting for us. To Alcatraz, Denny screams, and we fly off into the sunset. I'm fucking here for this. Like, I'm usually not even willing to give vampire shit a chance, but I would read or watch the shit out of a full adaptation of The Room with this as its subplot. I really liked how it ran under the events of the movie and how the author was able to tie it all together. And yeah, I liked how we knew that there was going to be vampire stuff, but it was really vague up until close to the ending when we learned that Johnny gave up vampirism for love and all the hinting at the stuff. The explanation at the end did feel a little rushed where Danny was just spitting out the entire story, and then it just ended, but I fuck with this. So that is the extent of the content I have planned for today. That's room fanfiction for you. As far as I've seen, it's all ridiculous. Some of it's surprisingly well written, and there's not a whole lot of it, but there's other stuff out there besides just this. If you want to read my story, It Dies, feel free to do that. If you're not convinced, I wrote it while I was drunk on the same night that I officially launched this podcast, so I don't know. I'm just saying you can read that if you want. So today we covered The Room 2 The Birth of the Best God by Fear Pigeon, 1 Month to Live by Joe 1413, Room Full of Secrets by Film 94, The House That Dripped Scotchka on Denny by Waz W A S U R E M O N O, The Red Dress is Blood by Rev Marsh, R E V M A R s h more horsepower than most horses by spine florets and suitably skippy a whole new world that's world without a d at the end by chianine c h i a n i n e and lastly the vampire from alcatraz the vampire king by again chianine you can find the Barslow on Instagram. Our profile is just the Barslow with an underscore in between each word. Follow us so you know what's coming up next on the show. I'm your pal Wenshic This is the is Low. Thank you for joining me. That's all for today.